0: Welcome to the 5 o'clock show. It's time for Common Sense. Now, it's Katz and Cosby with John Katsimatidis and Rita Cosby standing for truth, justice, and the American way, bringing common sense to the world. Now, here's John Katz and Rita Cosby.
1: This is John Katsimatidis and Rita Cosby in the the studio, and and we have one powerful... uh, a uh, set of friends here. We have Ed Cox, uh Chairman of the uh New York State General uh GOP. And we have uh Governor Patterson, used to be chairman of the uh Democratic uh uh G- Democratic uh
2: state chair. I was chairman in uh Mr. Cox's first iteration as chair. So uh, we, I think I should come back and serve with him again. I think
1: you <laughs> should come back again. He needs some I'm common for that. sense. And we have Vito Fasella Uh, former congressman and uh, borough president of uh, of Staten Island, and I understand we've got some breaking news.
0: Breaking news, WABC.
1: With us today is Kevin McCarthy, the speaker of the House of Representatives, on the verge of becoming as famous as Ronald Reagan and uh, Tip O'Neill, as famous as uh, Bill Clinton and uh, 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 Newt Gingrich, and Kevin... Kevin McCarthy, you made a deal uh, with common sense individuals on the Republican end, common sense individuals on the Democratic end, and you saved, you helped save America. Is this deal going to go forward?
3: This is going to go forward. They're going to vote in the Senate, uh, I think, later tonight, and it's going to become law. But everybody has to remember what's happening here. This is going to be the largest cut in American history, $2.1 trillion. But we put a cap on the government growth at the same time. And we got work requirements for welfare. This is going to help people get jobs again. This is only for able-bodied, no dependents, but they're going to get jobs again. And then we claw back all that COVID money. And then the other thing we did? We had the largest rescission. So you can't send the 400 million to China from the CDC. We're going to keep it in America. And the other thing we've done is hold Congress accountable. They can't pass all their 12 appropriation bills. It's a 1% cut across the board. And for the first time in 40 years, we are able to reform the Environmental Review Project, the NEPA. All this time it takes on average seven years to build a road, that's getting narrowed down. To one or two years.
1: Uh, Mr. Speaker, uh, is the White House, uh, a little more reasonable these days? I remember there, I know there was a change in, uh, Chief of Staffs and there was change in certain other changes at the White House. And it seems like, uh, uh, they sat down with you finally and, uh, uh made a common sense solution for, uh, all parties. I mean, nobody's happy. But that's what common sense is, and that's what, what uh, compromise is, isn't it?
3: Yes, but don't misread the White House. Remember, he wouldn't meet me with me for 97 days. It wasn't until the American people said they wanted cut. Republicans stuck together, put our own bill across, the Senate did nothing. Humor said we were just going to have just raise the debt ceiling, charge the taxpayer more money. And we stuck to our grounds and we held a tough bargain. And we were able to be able to do something for the American public that no other Congress has been able to do. So I applaud the American people and the Republican Congress and those Republican senators who stuck with us.
4: Hey, Rita, what, what, what say you, Rita? You know, uh, Mr. Speaker, I want to ask you about IRS agents. A lot of people are asking, where does that stand? And I also yeah. heard you coming out and talking about maybe more border agents. Explain those two, because the American public's so interested in that. Yeah, and
3: this has been miscalculated to people. They think we didn't stop the IRS. There has been zero hiring of any new IRS agents. They plan to hire 87,000 over a number of years. They had 1.4 billion this year to hire new IRS agents. We pulled that 1.4 billion back, so they can't hire anything. Then we got another $20 billion of that money that they had put for there, and we're going to reappropriate that later this year. I think a great place would be, let's look at, do we need it in the military? Do we need it down on the border with border agents? Let's put that money where we think the American people need it, and not for the IRS that's going to go after American people. Let's put it for places that is servicing and helping people.
1: Uh, Mr. Speaker, is there anything uh, that could help the border? Have you come to any agreement with them?
3: Well, we passed a border a border control um, bill. Um, and we send it to the Senate. Of course, the Senate has not acted, but we've got the ability to come up with uh, in, in appropriations to be able to put different items in there. And we're just going to keep fighting till we get it done. You know, the one thing about me, John, is that I never give up. I stick with it
1: and we just keep fighting. Uh, understood. um what are the things that.? Now, there was also an attack uh, on AM radio, and I understand there's hearings next week that they've invited me to go down. Uh, what was that all about? Nobody understands it.
3: Well, we cannot take away AM radio. If we had it in the world, somewhere in this country, talking to communicating with individuals, these were car companies they want to take the am radio out not put it in the new cars so we're going to have a hearing and i'm going to move legislation so we make sure we still have the ability to communicate with people across this country in a time of emergency and the am radio stays in the vehicles
1: yeah and it was a 97 of the american people are reached by am radio and i think some of the car companies all they cared about is maybe charging nine dollars 99 cents for the for to give you a radio on their on their
4: cars uh, Rita, what other items are you, does uh, you want to ask the speaker? You know, I want to ask you, Mr. Speaker, what's your message also to uh, the GOP, the ones who didn't vote for the debt ceiling bill because there were seventy-one who didn't. What do you say to them? Uh, obviously, uh, it looks like some on the right and obviously some on the left. Um, which maybe the fact that uh, obviously it passed uh, is is obviously a good sign. But how do you keep the party together?
3: Well, I I just think you move forward. Everybody has their own opinion. Some people want more into the bill. Some people thought they wanted more defense spending. Some people want more cuts. That's tough to put everything together. Uh, I think we found the sweet spot. I just didn't want to be known in history that I voted against the largest cut in American history in a time of debt that we have today. America is stronger based upon this bill becoming law. More people are going to be able to get jobs and out of poverty. We're going to be able to build things, cut the red tape that's been holding us back with all these environmental studies. We're going to stop the first chunk of the IRS agents, and we're coming back next year for the rest. So, I mean, this is a very good first start. But, look, our debt is so big for so many years, we've got to be able to turn this ship around, and we've finally got a turn going now, we've got to take the next step tomorrow.
1: Uh, Mr. Speaker, I want to thank you for for coming on and uh, and giving us a briefing of uh, what it's all about, and uh, God bless America, and, and we hopefully by midnight tonight that uh, we go forward.
3: Well, I appreciate you guys and keep doing the great work, and I'll make sure AM radio stays on so everybody can hear and get information that we need across this nation.
1: Thank you, <laughs> and thank you, Rita, and uh, God bless America. Wow. Well, guys, well, Governor Patterson, Ed Cox, Vito, what do you guys think?
5: I'll tell you what I think. Tell me. He is a fighter. What he said, "I never give up. I keep fighting," and that's why I got the deal that he got—just the right, right deal.
6: Yeah,
1: and I, I would say this: that- he took the uh, Democrats to the edge at that point. That's what he felt, I think. And I felt, I felt that uh, Biden, uh, the new people Biden has in, maybe they jumped in and helped.
6: I would say this. I think there's two two different points of view. One is, oh, they didn't, didn't go far enough. He shouldn't have caved. He shouldn't have made the deal. Uh, but you've got to recognize that the, the White House is controlled by the Democratic Party. The Senate is controlled by the Democratic Party. You get the best deal with what you got, right? And, and I give him a lot of credit for negotiating that. For, so for the folks who felt that he caved – I think you just have to govern too, right? And you have to send the signal that the Republican party is alive and well. He's got a very slim majority in the House. I think four, on any given day, it could be four members. So for him to, to, to stay united. And I think it also more importantly reflects the mood of the American people that they feel that the federal government is just spending too much money. And this was a good deal, in my opinion, uh, to, to
2: sort of be consistent with that, with that mood of the country right now.
4: Governor Patterson? I think
2: that President Biden has made a mistake here. This is the kind of negotiating that he engaged in <clears throat> that Bill Clinton did in 1995 after the losses that the Democrats took in 1994. Instead, it's as if he just is acting like, well, you know, that was the best we could get. So we'll live with it. If I were him, I would be on this same radio show with John Casmatidis talking about all these great things that he accomplished even the fact that they have reduced the debt and that they're not going to allow money that was apportioned for COVID relief that wasn't spent to just float out there and wind up in some political realm. He, a speaker is a product of Bakersfield, California,
4: by the way, where I I used to work at KERO. We were talking about,
5: you know, I was campaigning that in 1972 for president Nixon, and that's when McCarthy was seven years old. His formative years is a blue collar town back then, nitty gritty, tough. They just found the Kern County oil. There were jobs. That's there. only blue fifty co- years ago.
4: You're bringing me back home. You know he used to work for Congressman Bill Thomas. Of oh, oh, sure. course, he was, was a right hand guy. Exactly. I knew He came uh,
6: up the hard way. Yeah, Bill was a colleague, and Kevin worked with with uh, Kevin with uh, Bill at the
4: time. Now, Rita, I understand Nicole Magnetakis, the Congresswoman, is calling in. Exactly. We've got the Congresswoman, and apparently, obviously, you were there on the House floor. Walk us through, uh, the debt deal. We just talked to Kevin McCarthy, who just called in. Congresswoman, your thoughts of how this went down, and you voted for it.
7: Well, it's, uh, look, it's uh, great to be with you. I've, I've been listening to the discussion a little bit, and I agree with, uh, the speaker that, look, it's not a perfect deal, but, we are one-third of the pie here, right? The Senate is controlled by Democrats. The White House is controlled by Democrats. And if you think about where we started in this negotiation, the president and the Senate were intent that they were they were not going to negotiate. They wanted a clean debt ceiling increase, and they were going to do either that or the president was going to invoke the 14th Amendment and do it himself, which then, of course, would have been challenged in court. Uh, but nonetheless, the options were either – you know, we negotiate and get a, a best deal possible for Republicans, or we do the clean debt ceiling. Because if it, the president didn't do it, then it'd probably be like three Republicans that might have sided with the Democrats to do a discharge petition and just do a clean debt ceiling where we got nothing. Okay, or we default, which would have been devastating for the economy, for people on Social Security, our veterans, <laughs> you know, lose their benefits, the stock market, etc. So. This was the best of all options. Did I, of course, uh, like everyone else, want to see more? Yes. We passed a great bill in the House, right? But the reality is we are only one-third of the pie here. Uh, And nonetheless, the the speaker stood strong, and we as a conference stood strong. And we extracted a lot of good things, a lot of conservative wins, right? We're stopping the IRS agents from being hired uh, for this year. We have to fight that fight every single year. uh, I bet you it makes a
1: lot of Democrats happy, too.
7: You know what? It, it The reality is, it's the right thing to do, because we know a large percentage of those agents were going to target middle class families. They were going to go target small businesses because it was going to be proportional to, you know, the, the type of investigations that the every Uber
1: driver, every cab driver, every waiter, every busboy that, that that receives
4: cash tips. Yeah, they're cheering today. They're happy about this one. <laughs>
7: And then we saw the calling back the COVID money. We saw that there's a one percent cap, so not just are we cutting spending next year, and then on top of it, uh, spending you know spending less money next year than we did this past year. But we have a one percent cap going forward, and we also have checks and balances on the president. He can no longer unilaterally spend <laughs> 1.5 trillion like he did on the last last uh, two years no more omnibus massive spending bills like the 10 trillion that democrats spent over the past two years none of that's going to happen anymore and we actually put in triggers in place to try to get now the next fight which is going to be the budget and the appropriations process there are triggers in place because if we do not pass 12 appropriation bills and pass a budget then what happens is it's an automatic one percent cut until we do and so that's going to Give us the leverage to ensure that the Democrats return to the table so we can try to get more things like border security and some of the other priorities that we have that have been ignored so far.
4: You know, uh, Nicole, Too, one of the things that I was happy to hear uh, Speaker McCarthy tell John and myself uh, just a little bit ago was also that some of this leftover COVID money uh he's hoping eventually maybe goes to more border agents that they can at least somehow help with our security because, boy, has that been a mess.
7: Yeah, he proposed that, and he also proposed, look, if we're not hiring IRS agents this year now, as a result of this, then that money could possibly go to hire border patrol agents. I think that this is setting up things nicely for the next fight, which, as I say, will be, you know, the budget. Um, but certainly, it is a right step; it is a right first step, and it is changing the fiscal trajectory of our nation, which we definitely needed to do. Right? We needed to accomplish two things. One was to not default. And the other thing was to get some serious uh, spending cuts. This is the biggest cut in history, as the speaker said. It also and reducing the deficit as well. So, so I think it, overall it was a it was a good deal. Let's not allow the perfect to be the enemy of the good here.
4: Wow. Vito Facella, you got a question? Hey Nicole,
6: Vito, uh, how did the New York delegation uh, break down on, on balance as a as the vote on this uh, on this bill?
7: Well, it's great to, great to hear your voice, Vito, and obviously really proud to, to succeed Vito as a, a member of Congress from Staten Island, and he's doing a great job as borough president, good partner in government. Uh, and what I'll say is, uh, actually, it was quite interesting. So uh, for New York City, it was just, I was the only, obviously the only Republican in the city, uh, aside from George Santos, who voted no alongside AOC and the other squad members. Um, uh, Leader Jeffries voted for it, because he was obviously part of the negotiating. Uh, but the only other member from New York City to vote for it was Gregory Makes, who uh, is from Queens, reasonable guy, served on the, uh, is it, was the chair of the House Foreign Affairs Committee. He would be considered more uh, mainstream, you know, middle of the road member uh, compared to AOC and the others. So I thought that was also very telling, the fact that uh, the entire city delegation abandoned their leader, uh, Jeffries, and decided to vote no, because, look, they want to continue Spending and doing what they've been doing, they want to. They spent ten trillion last cycle. They want to keep doing it. And the other thing they didn't like here was that there were significant reforms to allow for energy and infrastructure projects to 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 go faster. Right, cutting some of that costly red tape, and they of course want to use those mechanisms to kill. oil and gas infrastructure to kill important uh domestic energy Kill, projects. kill
1: America. That's what they were doing. Governor Patterson, what do you what say you about this? I mean, we want some common sense here.
2: Well hello Nicole, how are you?
7: I'm doing I'm doing uh I'm doing great. And and, and let me just to wrap up so to answer Vito's question though, every other Republican in the state of New York did vote for the bill. How you doing, Governor Patterson?
2: Well I'm I'm doing all right. I think that one of the mistakes that we Democrats made is this was a compromise such as one that was struck between President Clinton in 1995 with Newt Gingrich. And when Clinton shifted and realized that the agenda from 1992, to 1994 had failed, that's what got him reelected in 1996. I'm surprised that the president didn't step in and basically be part of taking credit for this rather than acting as if he did all he could to stop it and it didn't work.
7: Yeah, what's interesting is he had drawn a red line on the work requirements, right? They did not want to impose any work requirements on individuals that receive public assistance. Uh, and that yet he voted for it with Bill Clinton back in the time frame that you mentioned. Uh, so that was, of course, something that a lot of the New York City Democrats were opposed
2: to. I had left that out, is. Congressman. I was hoping no one would find it.
7: <laughs> <laughs> Listen to how generous it is. If you're under 55, okay? And you have no children, no disabilities, you need to work 20 hours a week. And and if you receive public benefits, you should be producing for, you know, our communities and and for yourselves. And it helps lift people out of poverty, helps hopefully get people uh, off of public assistance, saves taxpayer money as well. So it's a win across the board. And that's why it passed so uh, robustly. I I want to sit on the couch and collect.
1: That's me. (laughs) <laughs> that's Never
2: the last happened. thing
1: you do my mother, my mother threw me off the couch Yeah, my, my mother too well, well the, thank you Nicole and uh, we're going to take a break right now and thank you for bringing all New Yorkers all Americans up to date and we'll catch up with you again real soon
7: you're all great Americans thanks so much for having me good to be with you have a great weekend thank God you bless. Nicole you too
1: let's take a break and there's an attack on religion and uh uh, religious, uh, religion is on on the slide. Yeah, the people are flipping and people are staying and, away. Why? And when we come back, uh, we're going to talk amongst ourselves, but we also have a two or three minute of, uh, uh, with Rabbi Potashnik and A.R. Bernard. Uh, let's go to the break. Let's come back with, uh, with uh, Rabbi Potashnik, and then we'll talk about amongst ourselves.
0: A Common Sense Recap of the Day's Biggest Stories. It's John Katz and Rita Cosby. Cats and Cosby on 77 WABC.
1: With us today to talk about religion... And we're going to have a bigger discussion this Sunday, because Sunday is a day of religion, along with...
8: The, Saturday, also. Along and with Saturday, the, uh, <laughs>
1: Rabbi Pekashnik. You know, and Friday for the Muslims. And <laughs> Friday for the Muslims. Exactly. Well, we're, we're going to talk about... and There's been articles around that religion in America has changed a great deal in the last 10 years. And with us today is uh, Rita Cosby... John Katzmatidis here, Rabbi Pekashnik, and A.R. Bernard. Uh, Rabbi, uh, you get first word. How has religion changed in the last uh, 10 years? Well, it's changed in a number
8: of ways. First of all, I remember going to synagogue with my father uh, out of a sense of obligation to my tradition, a sense of obligation to my family. I think many people have lost that kind of feeling it's become more voluntaristic. I'll go when I feel like it, rather than I go because I should go. I have a commitment to, to God and community. Uh, it's changed in that way. Uh, and some people just don't don't feel the connection anymore. Uh, they feel the, the religion is not responding to where they are in life. Uh, and that's a big problem, and I think that's something we have to look at seriously, look at
1: Within and without, both of with them. The statistics, and statistics. The statistics say that the religion you were born with, twenty-five percent in the United States, have changed. Now, have you found that in the Jewish religion a lot? Look,
8: we, you know, we can't see growth in certain uh, denominations. I mean, the, the Orthodox, I will tell you, are growing. Oh, uh, so they're having fourteen children. Well, you know, but, but th- thankfully they're growing. But in some of the other denominations, we're not seeing that kind uh, of movement. We're, we're seeing a shrinkage, and I think that is of great concern. The
1: Catholics are down 39%. Yeah.
8: Now you have Reverend Bernard, and I, I tell you, you've been to his house of I've worship. I've been there. I've he, been there. He, he he's packs got them a
1: beautiful, a beautiful he, uh, house of he worship. He big crowds.
8: Uh, so
1: obviously he's doing something that others need to look at. Proper communications. And value the, the, the human, A human being needs something to, to, to believe in. He so needs something to to feel that that uh, the, the future is going to be better. John, before we have the Reverend speak, I think you'll find young
8: people are joining. Gy- they're not joining gyms, but they're hiring trainers. I thought they're working on TikTok. Yeah, they're hiring <laughs> trainers. So obviously, they want something from the gym, but they don't want the whole package. Yes, they want something of value.
4: That's a great analogy. And uh, Reverend Bernard, let me ask you, um, why is there this move um, from religion? And, and, you know, it's interesting, um, by the way, on the Catholic faith, it looks like, yes, they're losing the highest percentage. But those people that are sort of devout are staying. It seems to be some people like in the middle are switching and even switching religions. What are your thoughts about that, Reverend?
3: Well, the reason we have so many religions in the world is because we are spiritual by nature. Uh, there are aspects of our being that transcend the physical, you know, uh, love and hope and, and, and faith and charity and connection and fear. All of those things, you know, transcend the physical realm. So there are spiritual aspects of who we are. Religion seeks to codify it into ritual and practice. And I think it's the ritual and practice that has been established over the centuries that this generation is rejecting. They want to redefine it. So they're saying, well, I'm not religious. I'm spiritual. And by that, they mean I am exploring and connecting with my spiritual nature, uh, with, with the divine, but they want to do it in it's,
1: different ways. It is part of our makeup. Well, this, this uh, discussion is a teaser and you could hear more on the Cats Roundtable on Sunday morning between eight and Nine or eight and ten, and I, Rabbi Potashnik and A. R. Bernard. Uh, uh, maybe you'll you'll say a few words during your uh, show uh, on Sunday mornings between seven and eight. We're the warm up for you, so of course we Absolutely. will. Absolutely, a good warm up. <laughs> batter up! <laughs> well, it's tune in. the pre-show. Okay. Thank you. This is the pre- tease for Saturday, uh, for Sunday between eight, and nine, and nine, uh, and seven and eight. Thank you. Well, that's uh, Sunday morning, and it's the uh, pre-tease. Uh, Rabbi Patashnik and A.R. Bernard are on between 7 and 8, and they have one great show on religion. And uh, we're on between 8 and 10 for the Cats Roundtable, and it's the number one show on Sunday mornings these days.
4: Of course it is. You yeah. have everybody there. It's now, great. let's talk about what else happened today. And By then, the way, uh, I'm praying for our president. Speaking of religion, uh, John, did you see this? The fall. Everybody is talking about The fall. Biden made a, badly. a really bad fall. He was on a stage um, at the Air Force graduation in I, Colorado. I pray,
1: I pray for President Biden because I don't want...
4: Kamala Harris, right? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, your smile said it all, John. I, that's a Kamala Harris, oh yeah. no, can't be a president look. <laughs> what, Governor, what do you think? I mean, uh, you know, what's going on in this world?
2: Well, I think that uh, older people are given to that sort of situation where they lose their balance and they fall, and it's happened to other elected officials in the past. It's, I, you know, I just hope that— um... You're
1: not talking about Dan
4: Quayle again.
2: No, not Dan Quayle. All right.
4: Well, Gerald Ford he, he had a bad one. He was actually more dangerous Gerald when Ford. he's
2: standing up than when he fell. <laughs> 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 well, that is true. Gerald Ford
5: had a bad He never recovered in the press yeah. room. They always stuck with him with that one stumble. He was a great athlete, great athlete, you know, all-American football player and all that. Biden has fallen more times than this.
4: And this wasn't and, just a trip. And yet,
5: and yet he recovers
2: in the press.
4: Yeah, let's see <laughs> what happens. Because w- in the past, he tripped a little bit, like going up and down. This was a fall veto. Now, you I might mean, say that the, uh,
2: uh, the president has fallen more time than a Jets quarterback. <laughs> <laughs>
4: Vito, you gotta no, to top it, that uh, one. It's, That's bad. No, uh, <laughs> I think it's
6: it's sad to watch. I feel badly for, for yeah, him. I do too. Uh, yeah, and I, I think it's sad, and it's easy to mock. It's easy to be critical and all that. Uh, I judge pers- the judge of more in his policies and what he's doing. But to you point before, and to Ed's point about Gerald Ford, I remember growing up in the seventies, and they crucified then President Ford, who was an a, a outstanding athlete and a, and a great human being. And who knows what, you know, what could have happened, but they made him look like a total idiot. Yeah. Exactly. Because he Vito. Fell down yeah, down. That, I think and it's
2: unfortunate. And, and that's the thing that I think we've got to remember. These are human beings. Uh, we know people who fall and In no one words, knows anything about crap, it and that kind crap of thing. Happens. Yeah, it happens. And for it to become part of somebody's resume almost, is unfair. But
4: they hammered but, Trump. They hammered Trump when he tripped. Oh, no, Rita. And, and I'm this not, is terrible. I'm no. not excusing not that unfair. either. They We've did got it. other stuff you're to You're exactly right. And there's no. reason no.
5: for that because that was a slippery slope that he was going down. Right, this at the was time. a flat. And yeah. I
4: feel bad for anybody. On it North just Cuny needs to be stuff.
1: fair. Yeah. On our CUNY stuff, Eric Adams uh, condemned uh, the people uh, at uh, City University for being anti-Semitic. Yeah, bravo to Eric Adams. Uh, Governor Hochul has been silent so far, so we have to find out what the heck is going on there. And another secret: fifty-two to forty-six. The United States Senate voted. I mean, uh, Democratic support is fifty-two to forty-six. Yep, voted against the student loan bailout. Thank goodness. So how do you read that, Ed Cox? I mean, like, you know, I didn't
4: carry either way, but you know, I just wanted honesty and integrity. Yeah, and it's interesting that it's Democrats. Yeah, uh, I'm amazed. Yes. I'm still trying to figure That's why John and I were like, wait a <laughs> minute, because yeah. it's a Democratic Senate, yeah, yeah. remember?
1: Well, let's take a break right now. We're going to come right back. You know what we're going to find out? We have Jimmy Petronas, the number two person in, in Florida, is the CFO. And Jimmy Petronas is going to tell us what is the truth. What's going on between Governor DeSantis and and Disney World, because we all love Disney World, and we can forgive them for what they're doing. But let's find out the truth. Let's go to that break and come back with Jimmy Petronas.
0: You're commuting home with Katz and Cosby. Now, here's John Katz and Matidis and Rita Cosby on 77 WABC.
1: Well, we're back. What the heck is going on in Florida? Why? Why the big controversy, the place we all grew up in and love, Disney World? With us today is uh, Jimmy Petronas. He's the chief financial officer of Florida. Uh, So many departments uh, report to him, and I almost think he's like the number two person in Florida. Uh, Jimmy, what's going on? What is the controversy between the governor and Disney World?
9: Well, one, thanks for having me. Look, 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 a little bit of, of history. Uh, Disney, 50 years ago, was in a position where they advocated for essentially a carve-out, a special district, their own city, to be able to to permit and, and do as they wish on their 50,000-plus acres or 50 square miles that they have there in central Florida. So part of the, the problem that happened with term limits in Florida, you um, people forget that Disney's a special district, that they have autonomy. Um, And I've always said people that have carve-outs probably shouldn't bring attention to themselves. Disney started bringing attention to themselves through legislation. It brought to light that Disney had special privileges that were uh, given to them by the Florida legislature 50 years ago, and people got jealous. Why should Disney have these special carve-outs and these favors, and other counties and cities and special districts don't? So the legislature came in and and, you know, created a, an equalizing effect. And it was uh, unfortunate for Disney, but they brought this on themselves.
1: Did it all start with uh, what the HR department was doing with uh, trying to, uh, to to create uh, more wokeness for kids?
9: Well, that's definitely what triggered the the look back into how Disney operates. So, again, Disney, the legislation was signed. It was moving on. Uh, Bob Chapek, which his scalp is on the wall now, but Bob Chapek started bringing uh, this to light. As he started stirring the pot, legislators started saying, hey, did you know Disney was a special district? So when that came to light, look, this governor wasn't governor 50 years ago when Disney was created. A lot of these legislators weren't even born 50 years ago. So now this comes to light and you know, hey, why don't we look into how Disney does business and, and let's not let them elect their own supervision, let's change it and allow the governor to appoint. And so this this has triggered a whole series of lawsuits and retaliation. To me this is this is Disney should have s they're in a hole, they should stop digging.
1: So in other words, they created their own banana peel?
9: Oh, a hundred percent. 100 percent and so you know and and look i'm i'm a pleaser mr john i like to i like i like everybody to be happy when they eat and i do too okay? we all do well
1: you know, the, but, the but, price but, of but disney stock has gone from 200 or 170 or 200 down to less than 100 the price of anheuser-busch that tried to do that with the world culture has gone down yep. 15 billion dollars ford motor company stopped in time because the people were starting to get angry at, at cutting out AM radio. Yeah, people
4: are fed and, up.
9: And, and same things happen with Target. You know, I mean, uh, Daddy always said that if you want to get somebody's attention, you get in their pocketbook. And this is exactly what's happening. <laughs> people are dropping their subscription to Disney Plus. They're not drinking Bud Light anymore, and they're not shopping at Target. So, I mean, when, when, you, when you play stupid games, you win stupid prizes, you know?
1: Well, who is putting these people in charge? To, to, well, to, I mean, Disney, uh, you know, anheuser Bush is now uh, blaming somebody at, uh,
4: uh, in their marketing department. Yeah, they, like, put the person on hold. Yeah. Uh, but but Disney, like, to your point, John, it's, uh, it's so CEO universal. Know, the CEO has to know what the heck is going on. And you should be appealing to everybody. It's just good business, don't you think, John? Yeah, absolutely. Keep the politics out. Disney. Me too.
9: Well, in, in the case with Disney, you know, like I said, Chapek is out. Iger is in. And, look, I think Iger, you know, he, he tried to be cute and pulled a fast one in between the transition of the new appointed board at Disney and the formally elected board. So they changed a number of the laws and contracts with the elected board that they had influence over. Well, to me, that that is an insult to the legislature and the governor. They have what's called legislative intent. And our intent was to make sure Disney cannot call other shots uh without any uh in any consequences. And so this is what they they lost trust in each other and that's why we have litigation. It's stupid.
4: It's stupid. And Vito Fisela, you got a question. Yeah for Jimmy, Jimmy, Vito Fasella
6: here. Um two things. One is a CFO, I'm sure you're counting all the New York money that's coming into Florida and seeing the revenue flow. So Good luck to you on that. Yeah, everybody. Um, exactly. <laughs> uh, but if you can look into your crystal ball, what happens uh, with the Disney Florida situation in the in the out years, three, five years from now? Any any idea where where this all falls out?
9: So I have been advocating every chance I get that that Bob Iger should be proactively reaching out. To the governor to bring this in for a landing. It was Bob Iger and Disney who did the attack. It was Bob Iger and Disney who tried to pull a fast one. It is Bob Iger and Disney who have not been fully transparent. So, what do you what do you expect the state of Florida, the governor, and the legislature to do? They're defending the laws <clears> that they wrote. So again, I, I I'll say it then. I say Bob Iger and Disney should respect their shareholders. And they should be proactively engaging the governor's office to bring this thing in for a, a land. Well, adult.
1: Wall Street taught him a lesson. The stock went from two hundred down to one hundred. That's
9: right. That's right. That's you're one hundred percent right. You know. And look, and then I know that that they want to say, well, Disney's pulling out their two billion dollar project in Central Florida because of Ron DeSantis. No, that's baloney. They're pulling it back because they've already got this operation established in California. Once, you, once you're hemorrhaging dollars, quit spending. So they, have, they just said, you know what, we're just going to stay in California. until I'm, And look, they may come back in a different day when the economy is different, but right now they're making the right decisions they should for the financial health of their company.
4: All right. Well, uh, thank you so much, Jimmy Petronis. Really great to have you here and to give us this insight on all of this. Thank you. We love having you, Jimmy. Jimmy we'll, we'll catch oh, I really up. Y'all. I
9: just, look, I'm, I just, I want to come back in studio. I will give you a heads up. I want to come back and join you. I See look there. forward
1: to spending an hour with you in the studio. And uh, God bless America. I will, I will be in Florida this weekend, and uh, I hope the sun shines.
9: Well, just make sure you spend lots of money when you come down. We need it. You got
4: it. <laughs> you, you have enough New York money, Jimmy. Thank you, Jimmy. Great to have you here. And joining us now is Dr. Peter Mihalos. Uh, Dr. Peter, I understand you got some big stuff on gut bacteria and the importance of detecting cancer, which is a biggie.
10: Absolutely. Well, while politics are trying to kill us, I'm trying to keep us alive. So, uh What's happening is uh, at the Mayo Clinic, they were able to uh, detect ovarian cancer with the microbiome. And what does that mean? The microbiome is the community of organisms, uh, bacteria, viruses, yeast, and fungi that live in our bodies, in our guts, in various orifices of our body. So what they looked at was people who had ovarian cancer, and they analyzed their microbiome that was the fluids that came out of the uterus, they noticed that there were certain organisms that were prevalent in the people and it was basically a biomarker and one day with that experiment, there will be a test where they'll be able to look just like a pap smear test, they'll be able to look at some of the fluids and they will be able to determine whether a cancer is brewing as an early warning detection system. They also found that in people with colon cancer, on some work done in Boston recently, and these are all new 2023 publications, that there were certain types of bacteria when prevalent in our gut, they were associated with a higher incidence of colon cancer. And we have about a hundred trillion bacteria that live in our intestine and our gut system, which actually uh, turns out to be about ten pounds of bacteria, viruses, and fungi that live in our intestinal tract, and they're. Consider our second brain and part of our immune system, but it now seems that when a certain group of bad bacteria become more prevalent, it's an early warning sign of cancer, and that's going to be another future test that we will be seeing in the uh, medical world in the next few years. So we wanted to share that with our uh, audience, and early detection is the key because if you catch things like ovarian cancer very early, just like with that blood test we talked about called the gallery test by grail, you can spot 50 cancers before they even start as soon as the cells start circulating in the blood. So some of these new amazing uh, developments now, will help. I stopped,
1: you, you forced me to stop drinking uh, because the, the alcohol kills the, the good bacteria in my stomach, so I stopped drinking. When are we going to come up with a solution for that?
10: Well, what happens is that the, uh, alcohol, you know, has certain strength in it, certain proofs, and it actually is almost like an anesthetic because it does kill some of the, uh, good bacteria and there's something called leaky gut syndrome and the lining of our intestine is like a border wall. It has to let the good nutrients in and good vitamins in, but it has to block the bad things. But when it gets disrupted by alcohol, you get something called leaky gut. And some of the bad things get into our bloodstream and then we get inflammation. That's why recently another interesting finding is 75% of our white blood cells that fight infection live around our intestinal gut. They're like the border guards of our intestine. So, so uh, if 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 you drink,
1: if you drink Uzo
4: that's 140 proof, you kill all that. And Polish vodka, there's nothing left of your stomach after that.
5: (laughs) All right, so the question is, what can you do that's good, that feeds the good bacteria, Dr. Mikolos?
10: You can eat things like uh, that are fermented foods, things like sauerkraut, kombucha, green leafy vegetables. Those are called uh, prebiotics, and they feed all the good bacteria. Probiotics are good bacteria that we introduce directly into the gut, so feeding them with fresh fruits, vegetables, Mediterranean diet, things that are not processed with all the preservatives. Because think about this. If you put a preservative in a food, that preservative is supposed to stop bacterial growth. But when that preservative goes in your stomach, what does it do? It stops bacteria. But ah! It also
1: stops we never bacteria. thought about that. In other words, if you, if you eat food that had preservatives in it, it right. kills You're the also- bacteria in your stomach that is a good bata- bacteria.
10: Exactly. And that's the reason why they're now understanding why processed food is a bad thing. And our our gut is, is a gut-brain axis. It actually communicates with the brain. And another fascinating thing that I learned recently when I uh, uh, was studying some of this stuff in cancer, why people lose their appetite with cancer is that when you lose your appetite, it's the body's way of not feeding the tumor. And there's a company out in uh, California that does these uh, fasts for people with solid tumors and they just published data that actually showed when you're on certain types of fast, you actually shrink certain cancers and certain tumors. So it's the body's protective mechanism not to feed. Cancer when they put radioactively labeled sugar to pancreatic cancer patients, guess where that sugar went straight to? Straight to
1: the
4: tumor. Wow, it feeds the the sugar feeds the cancer. Yeah, you always give us such great information. I mean, this this is is amazing. We're all going, Wow, Dr. Peter.
10: Yes, We're all sweet enough. We don't need more sugar.
4: <laughs> Doctor Peter. Thank
1: you for bringing us up for to date. For all of us and in the studio, sugar. <laughs> we'll, catch, we'll, we'll, we'll catch up again uh, real soon. And uh, let's take a break right now. When we come
4: back, we have FBI former supervisory agent James Galliano saying, "The FBI tell us
1: what the heck is really going on in the FBI." Stay tuned. Let's go take a break.
0: It's a common-sense recap of the big stories. It's Katz and Cosby on 77 WABC.
4: And welcome back to Cats and Cosby. Big showdown now with Congressman James Comer, head of the Oversight Committee, and the FBI Director Christopher Wray, who it looks like is going to be held in contempt for not handing over the document. Everybody talking about the politics at the fbi and our next guest here on the show knows about that all too well he is a retired fbi supervisory special agent my old friend james galliano uh james tell us you wrote a really powerful op-ed saying the fbi basically isn't the fbi you knew when you were there tell us about that
11: joining you guys and and look everybody uh always thinks wistfully back to a time when they were in an organization and it was great then. And, you know, time heals all wounds. And as we move forward, we're resistant to change. But some of the change, the FBI has been around for 115 years, since 1908. Some of the change is expected and necessary, but some of the focus right now, I think, and you, you referenced a piece I wrote for the New York post. Um, they're focused on the wrong things. In my humble opinion, they're, they're focused on, on trying to divide us with uh, employee research groups and and diversity and advocacy co- committees that you can join that every different type of hyphen possible you can find a niche to be in and and rita when i joined the fbi in 1991 you left your ego you left your identity at the door you became a nameless faceless public servant and I wish we could go back to those days, but it looks like we're not.
4: What do you think is going to happen with the whole thing with Christopher Ray? I mean, Comer said, listen, we should get the document. I, to me, it's astounding that we have the FBI director who's saying, I'm not going to hand it over. He's letting them see it privately. But the fact he's fighting it, to me, this I, I think it's outrageous. The American public deserves to know the truth.
11: Yeah, let me really quickly unpack what it is that, that we're talking about. It's a 1023. This is not a testimonial document. What it is essentially is a confidential human source report. And, yes, I understand, um, and it's been talked about in the media, this is uncorroborated, unsubstantiated information. But you also mentioned the name of the House committee. It's the Oversight and Accountability Committee. And I had a conversation with Trey Gowdy on TV the other night if they can't do this in closed session or at least have the chairman and the ranking member meet privately to view this then they're not and when i say they department of justice and fbi are not allowing the house to do their job of oversight this is this could be solved very simply and the resistance it harkens back to eric holder and the fast and furious days so i don't think anything's going to happen they can censure him but with the current you know, DOJ attorney general and the current, you know, occupant of the white house. I don't think it'll go any further than that. They're not going to impeach him, which is really their only other option.
5: So uh, Ed Cox here, uh, airborne James, uh, airborne uh, all the way. Uh, tell me, is this just the top levels in Washington of the FBI you're talking about, or is it really the bulk of the FBI? Uh, I, The sense that I get is it's really the leadership that often comes in laterally rather than be real agents who work their way up from the bottom to the top.
11: Great question. And real quickly, the FBI has 36,000 employees, 12,000 FBI agents. Put that in perspective, the NYPD is 36,000 cops for the five boroughs. So it's a small agency, and you're right. Uh, We refer to it derisively in the FBI as the seventh floor, and unfortunately a lot of the leadership there have been promoted very quickly. They're callow and inexperienced, and they answer to a director who's an appointee. Now, he's supposed to be apolitical. And people have argued uh, the apoliticalness, if you will, of previous directors before, whether it was Comey or whether or not it was J. Edgar Hoover. But, yeah, I think this is rock at the top. And I think, you know, the people at the top, they create the culture and the climate. And so does that does that go down? You know, the trickle down effect? Absolutely. But I will say this, the vast majority of the men and women that keep us safe, they're in the FBI are damn good people and damn good public servants. It's the top.
4: Absolutely. By the way, 1,000%. But you know what? The thing is, you sit there, James, and you go, wait a minute. It just seems so political. And and the double standards between the way they're handling Republicans versus Joe Biden. I mean, even look at all the stuff with the Hunter stuff. I mean, I, I mean it, don't you see? It, it's like, uh, how do we bring back faith? And how do we clean it up?
11: Well, we hold people accountable. And unfortunately, Congress has ceded much of its power to the executive branch, Rita, over the years, as you know. And that, that creep that's been going on puts the House right now in the unenviable position. The Republicans have a slim majority. The Democrats don't appear to be too interested or intellectually curious about all the pay-for-play stuff going on in the Hunter, uh, Hunter Biden laptops. And look, the only thing you can do here is you can issue subpoenas, you can attempt to compel people to testify, and you can haul the FBI director up on Capitol Hill. Um, and if he doesn't do it or he doesn't give them the documents that they have a right, they have a right to see, then unfortunately it is going to become a political battle. Should, should Christopher Ray?
1: Support. you know, we're almost over, we have 45 seconds left. If, should Christopher Ray just stand up in front of the American people and say... Uh, my hands are tied with uh, and th- this is the truth maybe. I,
11: I hate to say this because I wanted to give this FBI director the benefit of the doubt after the you know after the horrific time we had under under Director Comey. Uh, John, I-, I don't know if he's got the backbone or spine, or maybe he just prefers to be in the background. But, yes, this he needs to step forward. And I think that's not going to happen, unfortunately.
4: Wow. Very sad. James, thank you so much. And thank you for your thank great you, service. James. Thank you, James. Thank you. Thanks, guys. And Thanks we everything. all stand for a better America.
1: And we better save America this time around. Yeah, a lot. And what do we stand for? Truth, Truth justice, and the, in the American way. way. God bless America.